Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. John 2, 1 through 12, and it's on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there, there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they remained there for a few days. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the season of Epiphany, we are reading texts that reveal Jesus as the most human one and as God incarnate. And in today's text, we witness his first miracle, turning water into wine. It's a funny little miracle to start with because his later miracles, like Dan said, will include things like curing illnesses, exercising demons, and raising the dead. He will feed thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread. But the inaugural sign, which he very reluctantly chooses, the inaugural sign of his miraculous ability was to keep a party going. Of course, we can look at the symbolism of the story. The party had been going on for three days. On the third day, he will be raised. He is making wine, what will eventually be one of two parts of Holy Communion. Water, baptism, old jars, new wine, the bridegroom in the story, Jesus as our bridegroom, wedding, messianic banquet, the list goes on. Each part of the story is its own little sermon about who Jesus is and what he is here for. But I wonder about just the bones of the story itself. The fact that Jesus was likely on the dance floor doing the cha-cha slide. 
enjoying the last bit of freedom he had before his mission began. And his mom, not caring one bit about the vibe she's about to ruin, tells him, son, they have no wine. And he responds to her, uh, what concern is that to you or me? My time has not yet come. I'm boogieing, come on. And like any good mother, she ignores his I don't wanna and tells the servants to listen to Jesus and do what he says. So Jesus tells them to grab some big empty jars, the kind that will keep a wedding party's thirst quenched for a few hours more and fill them with water. And I wonder if as the servants were lugging the full jars back to the party, if the water sloshed around, spilling over the brim, splashing their arms. And I wonder if as they looked down, they saw that it was not water droplets on their arms, but wine droplets. And in their wonder at what magic had taken place, did they hold their breath as the steward tasted what was in the jar and exclaim this sensibility of the time, right? That people usually put the good wine out first and wait till everyone is intoxicated before bringing out the cheap bad wine. But this bridegroom had done the reverse. He had saved the best for last. Of course, in this time, water could carry diseases and cause illnesses. So people depended on wine for hydration. You know, this act was not merely to extend the celebration, but it was also an act of sustaining life and health for a whole host of people. And I wonder if they realized with that single gulp of wine that Jesus' ministry would begin. How you start is how you finish, so the saying goes. So what does this start say about Jesus and his ministry, about God's movement in the world? In 1967, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. went to Jamaica and completely isolated himself for a few weeks from the civil rights movement. And there he worked on the manuscript of his book, Where Do We Go From Here? He was weary from the ongoing fight for justice and equality. The march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama had happened two years prior and he was regularly bombarded with death threats and burning crosses and attempts on his life. The FBI had a thick folder on him and taps on his phone. And the white moderate pastors shook his hand but stayed silent in the face of gross injustice, telling Dr. King it wasn't time for change. He was moving too fast. He was asking too much. He was being too controversial. And he wondered in his time in Jamaica if he had underestimated the road before him, if he had overestimated the ability of people to change. And he was unknowingly nearing the end of his time here on earth. And during his time of rest and recuperation, of being unplugged from his hard work in the civil rights movement, he wrote this, all men are interdependent. Every nation is an heir of a vast treasury of ideas and labor to which both the living and the dead and all nations have contributed. Whether we realize it or not, each of us lives eternally in the red. We are everlasting debtors to known and unknown men and women, 
When we arise in the morning, we go to the bathroom where we reach for a sponge, which is provided for us by a Pacific Islander. We reach for soap that is created for us by a European. And then at the table, we drink coffee, which is provided for us by a South American, or tea by a Chinese, or cocoa by a West African. Before we leave our jobs, we leave for our jobs, we are already beholden to more than half of the world. In a real sense, all life is interrelated. The agony of the poor impoverishes the rich. The betterment of the poor enriches the rich. We are inevitably our brother's keeper because we are our brother's brother. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. In his isolation, Dr. King observed how we are all woven together, affected by the other. While on an island, he noted that we are not islands, that our fates are indeed connected and bound up in each other. And in his discussion of poverty of materials and poverty of spirit, Dr. King said he imagined us living in a large house in the world. And he said, the large house in which we live demands that we transform this worldwide neighborhood into a worldwide brotherhood. Together, we must learn to live as brothers, or together, we will be forced to perish as fools. We must work passionately to bridge the gulf between our scientific progress and our moral progress. One of the great problems of mankind is that we suffer from a poverty of the spirit which stands in glaring contrast to our scientific and technological abundance. The richer we have become materially, the poorer we have become morally and spiritually. In Dr. King's imagination, there is enough for everybody. And any kind of sense of progress that contradicts that understanding is not real progress. Because we're all sitting at the same table, sharing the same jar of wine, the same basket of bread. We are each other's keeper. In this time of radical social transformation that we live in right now, in the way the pandemic has upended our lives, it's hard to not prioritize our own silos. We ask with Jesus, well, what concern is that to me or you? During the winter storm last February, as I laid in a hotel room with rolling outages after having to abandon our home without power, I struggled to care about anybody else because I was so afraid my family was going to die. In my most desperate moments, as a mom of a high-risk child under five years old, I struggled to care about anybody else because I'm so afraid that my daughter is going to get sick. I'm terrified that I'm going to bring COVID home to her. And these times have brought to the surface a modus operandi of desperation that I had not known before. It has altered how I live and move in the world. And I find it truly incredible, a miracle, that while Dr. King did not endure a pandemic or a life-threatening storm, he endured threats on his life and his family's life over and over until his own life was taken. 
And yet he continued to insist that we are each other's keepers because we are each other's brothers and sisters and siblings. That we are all bound up together. Those of us in this church service, those of us in all the churches in Azel, in all the synagogues and mosques and temples and the metroplex, we are each other's keepers. He insisted on this, even as fellow pastors that he wrote about in his letter from a Birmingham jail, said, it's not time yet, Martin. You're moving too fast. But despite their warnings, he kept calling out what was wrong. He kept naming the problem. He kept saying, no, it is time. Even as people, as his own government said, this is not the way, let things lie. He insisted that there was another way. There was another way that we could relate to each other, that we could be in community. Even when the economic system created huge gaps between the haves and have-nots, and many simply accepted this reality, Dr. King said, no, there is enough for everybody. We have a duty to make that true. And even when all signs pointed to a community of scarcity and hoarding of resources and justice and freedom, he somehow saw, he, he somehow saw through that and named the life of enoughness and of abundance. And I wonder alongside Dan, why was this the first miracle? What a strange one. And I wonder if Jesus' first miracle, the genesis of his ministry, began with turning water into wine in order to be a sign that God's reign is one of abundance, of enoughness. The libations were restored for the wedding party because Mother Mary saw the problem and said something about it. She insisted that the one who could do something, Jesus, do something. And she instructed others to listen to Jesus and do what he says. And Jesus told the servants to gather the resources they had. Notice he didn't say, go out and buy more wine or somehow acquire something outside of your possession but he told them to grab the water jars in the pantry and fill them up with water. Use what you have and he will take care of the rest. As we reflect on Dr. King's legacy today and tomorrow and we continue to live into our call as disciples to be a movement for wholeness in a fragmented world, may we be paying attention to things that need to change, to jars that need to be filled, to needs that need to be met. May we have the courage, even in our own slogging through the world, to name what we see and use what we have, the gifts that God has given us, the resources we have in our possession, the connections we have with one another. And may we use them to alleviate suffering, to come alongside in solidarity, to be extravagantly generous, even when it goes against the rationality of the day. May we say yes to what is asked of us, even if we're not ready, even if we're not sure it's the right time. And may we trust 
that we do not labor in vain or on our own. That Christ is taking our acts of obedience and turning them into abundance. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.